0: the clean collective
1: empowering community through sustainability no action is too small the clean collective gives thanks and respect to the Bunjalung people traditional owners of the land upon which the following conversation was recorded G'day, friends family do I get to call you family now if you and I have been sitting down and talking and exchanging ideas for this long I mean, come on, surely we've got to be close. Welcome back, friends and family. Thank you for tuning in to The Ripple Effect. You are joining me today to sit down for a chat with Nadala Barker. This episode is with a teacher. That's the best word to describe NIDS. Because i tell you what, I didn't approach this conversation with trepidation, but certainly I approached it with awareness that I was about to talk to someone very politically educated and motivated and experienced. And we sat down to talk about Indigenous rights. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode with Kiralee Lowcock a few weeks back, um, these are conversations that I find quite challenging as a white male in colonial Australia feeling kind of representative of the problem, really, which is the ongoing marginalisation of Indigenous culture in this country. And it's really hard for me to come at these conversations from such a place of privilege. Being a white male in Australia, that's as good as life gets and I'm so painfully aware of that and so... But therein, for me, lies the need to have these sorts of conversations because I feel like representing the problem, as it were, means that I am first in line to be educated more on how we're going to solve this divide between colonial and Indigenous Australia. So despite Nadala being a politically formidable person to converse with, you wouldn't know it. And within the first 30 seconds, it just felt like I was sitting down chatting with a mate, which was so helpful to have a really loaded conversation like this and cover some really precarious terrain where offense is rife and it is so easy to misunderstand and to culturally step out of line, even with good intentions. And we covered a lot of that, this conversation. This episode has come along actually at personally a really good time because a thing I've been, i tell you what's been rattling around my head relentlessly this week is the voice of none other than Pauline Hanson, because deep in my YouTubing recently, I stumbled across this clip, and I'd encourage you to look it up, um, because it's kind of just, frankly, bewildering and amazing that it exists, and terrifying, but it's a clip of Pauline Hanson discussing the closure of the hiking trail up Uluru, outside Alice Springs, talking to three very clearly Indigenous women, and then proclaiming to them, Um, Well, I'll argue the point with you then, I'm actually Indigenous. I'm native to the land. Do you know what indigenous means? If I wasn't born, if this isn't my land, then where is it? Blah blah blah. And it's just like, it's it's so horrifying that I couldn't I couldn't not just. I think I laughed just out of shock at the bloody cartoon that Pauline Hanson is. And I'm certainly not introducing this YouTube clip and her behaviour as anything forgivable. But it's a really good reflection of how misunderstood native title is in this country. How impossible it is that perhaps the most Caucasian lady to ever exist is standing out in the middle of country telling Indigenous women that she is also Indigenous. And it's just, it is, it is just, it's absolutely appalling. But it represents a really pertinent issue in our society today, which is that we don't talk about this enough. This should be something that we all understand and we all are working together towards reconciling this gap in the understanding of traditional knowledge of Australia and understanding what colonialism is. Because colonialism has been romanticized in the Australian history books as this brave explorers pioneering new worlds. But in fact, it's an invasion, guys. It's as simple as that. And so this brings me back to being painfully aware that I am the descendants of invaders. And it's this really horrible thing to be feeling in the background and be wanting to have discussions and wanting to try and understand more and understand what I can do as, as a white man in Australia, wanting nothing but harmony, but kind of being unable to talk about it because there's so much Entrenched misunderstanding. So I found this conversation really valuable for teaching me some new stuff and a new attitude and helping me understand exactly where the pain comes from and what I can do to help. So, if you too are interested in harmony of all Australians of all colours and shapes and sizes and descents, then hopefully you'll take away something from this conversation too because Nadala Barker is a fantastic teacher. She has so much experience in communicating this problem. And I really appreciated being on the receiving end of it firsthand. Hopefully you do as well. And thanks again to Nids for having me and for chatting and for teaching. I really, really appreciated it. Nadala Barker, guys, enjoy. Yeah,
0: I managed to connect the computer to the hotspot this morning though.
1: Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. That's always a satisfying feeling—that mm-hmm. little blue bar at the top. It's like,
0: yeah. you did it. Worked. It worked. Nice. I'm appreciated, and it was for someone else, so you know, yeah, I became brilliant. a tech god
1: for five seconds until it disconnected, and then
0: and then the phone ended up in the it. garden because I couldn't do it again. <laughs> Straight up, <laughs> we on the phone dropped us the other day, and I just I gave up. I just hung up because I was like, I can't do it. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And the guy was like, blue cable. I'm like, but there's no blue cable here. And he was getting angry at me. And I'm like, you're supposed to be helping me. (laughs) Is your blue my blue? (laughs) What's going on? What if I'm colourblind? This isn't good for disabilities.
1: So what about the people who do those jobs? Who are like, because I agree. It's like the most painful fucking thing for, what, 20 minutes? That and you do like, it once every two months. Uh, but what about doing that all day as your job? It would be
0: horrible. That's why they have such high rates of like self-harm in those jobs, though. Is that right? Is that like, measured? straight up. Really? Because it would make you insane. Like, yeah. But then I think that you have to have a specific mindset. So, like, he was saying, like, all that I see at number 48 is house 11, not lot 11. And I'm like, well, that's the same thing. He's like, no, you said lot. And I was like... But we don't have lots and houses, and I live in a house at number 11 in 48, so isn't that the same thing? And he's like, no, you said lot. And I was like...
1: Ehh. Cool, we both know what I'm talking about now, so rather and than keep splitting hairs about I'm the past... I'm,
0: like, <laughs> I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all right. I recovered.
1: You recovered. You seem okay.
0: Yeah. Shelly ended up just calling back, because yeah. I was like, no, I am done.
1: Yeah. i like,
0: I'm losing my cool here.
1: I do that. It, that's, it's so firmly outside my wheelhouse of responsibilities in my share house at home. I'm like, I'll do everything. I'll, I'll hang people's washing out if I need to, but I don't want to make those calls. I'm, I'm not, not interested in calls, talking no. to NBN or anyone like that.
0: <laughs> NBN is the worst. Yeah. And they're like, we are the faster service. I'm like, no, you're not. It's definitely. And everybody not. knows that you're not, only you think you are, but everybody else knows NBN is shit. So what
1: the, what happened with
0: NBN? What's I the... don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I but only... it was a huge mistake that cost us a lot of tax money. But they're still rolling it out, are they? Yes. But they're like, oh, it's a question of connection. More people have it, the faster. it'll go. I'm like... That's just not, not true. I'm not super techie, but I don't feel like that's true. Yeah. But then, like, that's how they get you, right? They're like, no, blah, blah, blah. And they throw letters and numbers at you. And then you're like, oh, maybe I don't know. And I'm like, wait. Rationally, this doesn't make sense, though. If it doesn't work now... Why will it work in three billion dollars worth? You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's just
0: all, putting that, it out there. <laughs> that's
1: all, There's always I like, I get to this stage where I have an indignation about something and something that I perceive <laughs> as a problem, and I've educated myself to a certain level, <laughs> and as that's soon crazy. as it goes above that level, all the wind's out of my sails, and I'm like, oh god, <laughs> no, oh, okay, I'm just done like, now. Change the subject. <laughs> and so I feel like people like NBN just sort of banks on that. They're just like, no, I can just keep throwing numbers. numbers, references, invoice, whatever, at this guy until suddenly um. we go past that level and then just back off. My, okay, okay fine, I'm like, just,
0: fine. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is when I hang up and the result is that, like, I'm $40 deep in gig data because I have no internet.
1: Yep, and I'm also down 90 minutes of my life from this conversation <laughs> exactly. that I'll never Which recover. Is the point. I
0: was like, I'm sorry. I just, on the phone, and this is what I said. I was like, I'm sorry. I just don't feel like this is worth my time (laughs) and the guy was like oh miss we can work and I was like I'm sorry you did the best you could and I just hung up (laughs) and Shell was like in tears of laughter she was like did you just tell him you did the best you could I I was just too overwhelmed I didn't want to get angry and I just stopped it's very
1: (laughs) respectful I don't think anyone's that respectful to Uh, the guys on the end of those phones I didn't
0: want to breach that because you know, like, once you've reached the point where you're angry, I know that I have a bit too much sass, a bit too much attitude, and I'm like, I don't want to be rude. Yeah. Isn't that it, the, that's the weirdest thing ooh. about,
1: like, you get, it, it's literally the last thing that could possibly help you when you're in, a, when you're in strife and you need help. Hmm? Being angry and projecting your anger and fury at people but for them, you can it's around. the last thing that's going to motivate them to work even harder to try and help you. Oh, yeah. But it's this automatic response that,
0: like... Oh, fuck you. So, you're the blue cable yeah. <laughs> and like oh no I've done it that's why I'm like this is no longer productive for anyone so I'm removing myself from the situation mm-hmm. and I was like good enough
1: Well, you know what, if you'll forgive me for saying, it's actually quite reassuring to hear that you contend with the same struggles that I do in the big city of (laughs) Sydney. Um, Like, these sorts of conversations and ridiculous trials and tribulations of the 21st century still exist in the hinterlands of Byron Bay. Yeah,
0: man, it's not as perfect as everyone says.
1: Well, I mean, that aside, it's looking pretty good.
0: It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But there's a lot of facade there. Mm. Which is how Kirill and I became friends.
1: You know what? I actually noticed that because I've been in Byron since Friday. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't been here in like maybe ten years, mm-hmm. and I didn't pay too much attention ten years ago when I was here, I was just mm-hmm. surfing, but walking around now, I know that it's like a real sustainability hub, and and I love that there's a, like a an awakened community mm-hmm. of people. That definitely exists. In that,
0: yeah.
1: But. but you walk down the main drag and there's all these shops with their beautiful eco products and sustainable this and earth that. And all of them have two to three air conditioners that are just blasting with double doors that are wide open out into the 35 degree weather. And you're just like, hold on, what's what's going on here? And yeah. Yeah, it's sort of, it's quite a Let's weird Let's all go like, to mixture. the beach
0: clean up in our big fuck em off four wheel drives. Let's not car share. Let's do yeah. all this stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, I have no issue doing that because everyone is just doing the best they can but the self-righteousness that comes with it is insane like and here in particular people are like no but really there's only byron that's doing well we're the only ones really making a difference i'm like but you're not though and that and then they're like oh i'm all eco-conscious and then it comes to indigenous issues and they genuinely think and this is the part that i actually find really distressing right is that people genuinely think they're progressive Mm. They genuinely think that they're making a social difference, but they're not. They're just more rich city, white kids coming here and being like, oh, I'm this and I'm that and blah, blah, blah. And Street like,
1: cred. Look at me. I'm in Byron. Exactly. I'm
0: in Byron. I'm one with nature, blah, blah, blah. Jinky wallah. I'm like, bro, it's not because you can say hello in the local language that you're... Is that bunge, That's well, Yeah, for hello. for hello. Okay. And it's like, but there's this idea that genuinely they're progressive. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I understand politics. But by having these political conversations, they're like, cool, I'm voting the Greens because I understand politics. And I'm like, cool, but if you actually understood politics, you know that the Greens leader here has asked you to put Greens in number two so that we don't split the progressive vote, which is what has been asked. Right. But you're not actually paying close enough attention because you're all in the facade. You're all about speaking and you're all about seeming cool and having all these... things. Exactly. I bring my keep cup everywhere because I'm like fucking trendy. And I'm like, I appreciate the keep cup. But I would appreciate an acknowledgement of shortcomings.
1: That's the that's the tricky thing about that, eh? Because I have I have similar criticisms of like a lot of, you know, how sort of trendy sustainability is, yep. and, and even you know indigenous sensitivity. That's it's a real obvious virtue signal that people like look to, almost as a, a resume filler or like a, a CV thing. Mm. Like, look at me and the things that I stand for. But just like, it's weird because that's better than not standing for them, right? Exactly. Like, that's better than being completely ignorant.
0: Exactly. But I
1: agree with you that there's, like, an element of um, insensitivity at, at, at claiming those things when you're not actually living yeah. them. But it's better than nothing. So no, it's It is like, better than nothing. Yeah, sometimes I just feel no, like It's Is pessimist. it better than
0: nothing, though? Because, like, sometimes, and this is something that Kiraleen and I talk a lot about, is that, like, good intentions in the bad space can actually make stuff worse. Right, And that's particularly true with Indigenous issues, right? Yeah, okay. Like this white saviour complex of people who genuinely think they're helping, and you genuinely want to help them. But you're just blocking the channels for projects that do work. Right. All you're doing is removing power from Indigenous people because you think that you can do things better. Yeah. And you, you're not doing things better, and you're actually making things exponentially worse by, for example, you know, all the time I get... Oh my God, I love Indigenous culture. I just want to work with Aboriginal people. And my question, which can sometimes come across as harsh, is that's amazing. Why? Mm. Why? Yeah. Why do you want to work with Aboriginal people? Why do you enjoy Indigenous culture? Because if you're saying it, as you say, for that CV tick, then I have no interest here. Yeah. Because you're just making yourself feel better, but you're not actually acknowledging your own privilege in this situation. Yeah. If you want to help, understand what you have that other people don't have, and place
1: it there. Yeah. That's You're really right. interesting because, like, I, I, I constantly fear being guilty of that myself because I am, I am you know, the, mm-hmm. the white boy in the four-wheel drive coming up here who considers himself an environmentalist. Mm-hmm. But I know all the fucking leaders of diesel that I burned to get up here and I know mm-hmm. that, like, nothing, nothing comes without a price. Mm-hmm. But I'm aware that, like, that's a very insensitive, verging on, insulting and offensive thing to, to claim, like especially with indigenous issues and to claim sensitivity there it, it like i'm constantly worried about being guilty of that because as i just said to curley in our conversation just before like i'm i'm the least marginalized person you'll ever fucking meet like <laughs> you know like white male in australia from yeah. the city you know affluent background like i've got yeah. everything i could possibly want to never be marginalized in my entire life and so I wrestle with that because I'm like, well, that's gonna be offensive to someone whose culture, you know, I, I appreciate and respect, and want to yeah. want to further and want to do what I can. But I'm aware not to overstep it and embrace it too much because then that's suddenly a recreational thing that yeah. is not available to people who are genuinely part of that culture. They don't mm-hmm. get to just pick it up and put it down mm-hmm. again. And so, like, it, it's a really, um, it's, it's quite unste- a delicate balance yeah. to try and strike. I
0: think that the most important thing though is, is that you're acknowledging it, though and that's like step one and going like i have privilege other people don't i want to help just ask yeah because i think that that's the big thing is that a lot of people who want to help particularly around indigenous issues and particularly around women and indigenous issues which is where i work is just they think that we have no solutions already there right i know so many women doing fantastic things so many projects are working there are very concrete things that we need whether it's financing whether it's help creating a website for something Mm. whether it's you know actual just physical stuff like i don't know like the deadly titters program they needed very physical stuff they go around and they're doing natural face masks so help finding those natural products all that sort of stuff and those projects exist and the help is needed I just think that people would feel a lot more empowered if you fully ask, What can I do to help? Yeah. Because there's actually so many solutions that are already there. And that's more beneficial to Aboriginal people because it's actually making a difference. And it's more beneficial to you because you're like, I'm actually being helpful.
1: Doing something. Because, you know,
0: streams. screaming at the top of your lungs, like, Indigenous people have the, one of the highest suicide rates, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's true that doesn't make you feel any better, and no less children are dying. Yeah. So it's like, what can we actually do about it? There's a lot that's being done. Yeah. in the back of the queue. Give it a bit of oomph. That, rather than going out the front going, there's a problem. That's
1: it. It's like a, it's trying it's not having glory as your first mm-hmm. outcome that you're trying to get at, which I yeah. think is like the symptom of what we're talking about as far as a very virtuous Byron Bay community who's happy to tick all those CV boxes yeah. but aren't actually living it, is because they want the glory of it more than mm-hmm. they would actually want to contribute to doing anything. To anything about it. Because it's not, there's no, um, it's not a very, you've got to really be committed to an issue to be happy to just do it, like put, yeah. keep your mouth shut, like do something and not talk about it. There's such a mm-hmm. difference. Like those people are so obvious when
0: mm-hmm. people
1: who just constantly talk about what they're, what they're involved I- with, for yeah. me, it's like, well, you we can't be doing very much for any of that if you're spending this <laughs> so fucking talking about, about it.
0: Right? <laughs> exactly. It's like, do something. There's, like, there's a great example of that that my dad always talks about. He's like, Aboriginal people are like an old rusty car in the bush, right? Mm-hmm. It's moving, just not very quickly. What? Like, Garia always come, like white people come and stand in front and go, these people need a new car. It's like, cool. What about it? you stop standing in the way of where we're actually rolling because we are still rolling slowly and just go to the back and push. And just, push. Yeah. just push. That's all we need. We just need a push. We don't need a new car. We don't need you to tell everybody in the rest of the world that this car is broken. We just need you to push it because standing there and saying that nothing is working and that British people need help, it's actually slowing us down mm. because that rhetoric, particularly in young women that I work with, is humongous. They genuinely don't think that they can do anything. Right. They think of themselves as incapable, yep. but they're not. And like I talk to them all the time, and I'm like, "Guys, you can do so much more than most of this garya mob in the city. Like, if it's the end of the world, you girls can survive. None of these other people can. You know things. You have DNA tied to the very earth that you stand on, which isn't something that other people can say. You are resilient. You are strong. You are smart. You're just constantly being told that there's nothing you can do right you are capable and the thing is when you're always being told oh you need help oh isn't life so hard for you oh it must be so difficult being aboriginal in today's Mm. world it's like none of that is helpful yeah
1: that pity is pretty toxic it doesn't it's so
0: toxic and when i was teaching it was always you know like i was always so i had this conversation with one of the headmasters where he was going you need to stop being so harsh on the kids because you know like they have it hard at home no man I would not stop being harsh on the kids because I'm not harsh I just set a standard for them he's like yeah but you know like expecting them to meet national guidelines when you know half of them don't have running water at home they've got other things to worry about I'm like you are deciding what they are and they aren't capable of and that is unfair if they can't meet it yeah you can do something to help them but don't tell them from the get-go that they can't because maybe not all of them but maybe some of them are more than capable to do that Mm. So stop telling them they can't do stuff. Yeah, you're just immediately
1: classifying them in this marginalised position. Push them too hard.
0: It's like why push them? That's how you grow. Uh, Yeah. Push them. Like it's always the first conversation that I have with my students is going like, this is going to be a difficult class, but you're going to do it, and you're going to do it because I set a high standard because I know you can meet it, and that automatically changes. Doesn't mean that they're happy about it. Yeah. They complain a lot. I've had kids try to change classroom, try to leave class. I don't care. I'm like, if it's 6pm and we're still sitting here, it's 6pm and we're still sitting here. Because that structure is what's going to be able to get you moving forward. Yeah. Not this cordling of your problems. Like.
1: Yeah, and just, just fostering that, that level of marginalization. Because the victim complex has got to be such an obstruction to getting mm-hmm. out of the victim complex. Yeah, that constant mm-hmm. pity, that constant reminder that like you've got it harder than other people. Yeah. You'll just embody that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I say this because, as obviously, like the least educated understanding of that ever being a thing. Like, it's not something but I've you experienced. Can understand, but, but you I can understand understand it I get it the mechanics of it. Yeah, totally. What
0: the reverse argument is, right? If you've grown up in a place where everyone's gone, bro, you're capable of anything, you can do whatever it is you want to do, and you can, and you genuinely believe that you can. But what if that is completely flipped around? Not saying you can't do anything, saying... Oh, the world is too hard for you. Then yeah. what are you going to believe?
1: Yeah, but that even that like th- that's it's the same negativity right at the other end of the scale. When mm-hmm. you, like, and that is has been my background where I've seen like I have heard that my whole life, and it's been true. I've got everything I could possibly want in front of me to do whatever I want mm-hmm. in this world. So I've acknowledged what a mind-boggling privilege that is, and mm-hmm. decided to do something about it. Like mm-hmm. I, I won't rest until. I feel like, I don't know, I'm just trying to like balance that. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen in a lot of my peers is like is a complacency and mm-hmm. then they'll do nothing because they're told that they can do anything. So they'll just settle for, mm-hmm. you know, a low lower mid-rank whatever because that's still so much it's better still than, okay. yeah, still okay.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's not okay. Yeah. And that's where structure and discipline comes in, right? And that's a choice that like at the end of the day, some people want to do nothing, they'll do nothing. And if they want to waste their privilege, they'll waste their privilege, you know, but that doesn't mean that you can't do a hell of a lot with the few people who want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the power of privilege and that's the importance of power itself is that you need very little to create a huge amount of change. Mm -hmm. And that's the big part, you know, we always get so caught up in going, there's just such a huge gap between the living conditions in Lajamanu for the Wapu people in the Central Desert and someone in the Northern Beaches in Sydney. Yeah, man. Mm. It's a massive difference. We're talking skyrocketing amounts of money, skyrocketing amounts of education. They're worlds apart. But what that means is that a single little drop from the top actually has a huge impact down the bottom. Yeah. And that's like the positive thing that I'm constantly reminding myself of, you know, like I'm constantly torn. I'm like, I want to go home but then i go home and i'm like i'm not actually being very useful here so then i go and i come back and i go and i come back and every time i go it's like i'm getting a bit of something and bringing it back and i bring a small thing back and it's sprouting something and then i go again and when i come back well that thing that i've left there has grown and a few more people are changing yep. and then i see a few more people going and coming and it's not about having to leave it's about well the more and more you come and go the less you'll have to leave in the end because you've already got that base there. Yeah. Like once you've reinstated things like hope, things like motivation, things Mm -hmm. like thinking you're capable, Mm -hmm. things like re-embodiment. Like so many people, and this is like where I work is, you know, like so many women are so disconnected from their bodies and so disconnected from their voice and they don't think that they have any authority to speak on anything because of that. Like if I just change one thing, one person then that's got a wildfire effect yeah you know, and it means that i won't be needed there and that's i think the big component of helping someone is going the end goal isn't for me to have a gold star the end goal is for them to have a genuinely better life and not need me yeah not need me to come back not need me to do things
1: and in, in the absence of a gold star you, you've got infinite ripples where that's just gonna exactly. keep spreading if you've, if you've done it with genuine intent yeah where's home kimberly okay Far out! You're a long way from home. Yeah. So how often do you go back?
0: Once a year, once a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful spot. Yeah, I can't wait to get up there. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. There's just like so much in one spot.
1: Yeah, I've been um, I've been watching um, four wheel drive action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just basically because I've been frothing on my <laughs> four wheel drive, and I've been every every episode where they go to the Kimberleys is just like because they like I love that show because. They're just true blue frothers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're
1: not necessarily helping the world <laughs> no. much in their adventures, but for me, like they're exposing the beauty of Australia yeah. and particularly the Kimberley region. Just looks
0: like so and diverse. It's, it's, I can't believe how much different like stuff we're is up there. by the desert, and that's what people don't realise is that it's the Pilbara desert to the south, the Sandy desert to the east, and then it's just this oasis. Oasis. That's just like and through the kimberley is so different like if you enter through the northern territory you have like the huge you know like the big agar lakes and then you keep going and you have the bungle bungles which are like you know these huge marble rocks but i'm talking like 200 meters high 4k wide yeah creeks big boab trees and you keep going in and you have giant rivers and oh you keep going God. in and the landscape changes like back over and over and over and then you get to these huge sandy beaches and where i'm from that's what it's like i'm from winnowall just north of broome well, two hours but mm-hmm. in kimberly standards that's like right stuff. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and it's like these huge creeks and like 100k's worth of white sand beach yeah wow you know just like the stillest water and the uh, just all these coral reefs and huge creeks with so many mud crabs. Ah, oh, you're making
1: me sweat, dude. I just wanna go there right it's now. It's so
0: nice. Yeah. And like lakes with all these birds and, Wow.
1: Yeah. So you're not teaching anymore. Mm-mm. What did you teach and what are you doing now? Um. Sorry, that's two questions. <laughs> I'm um, sure they've got no, both got the answers.
0: <laughs> um, I've done a lot of things. I'm kind of reshuffling at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to New York, I was teaching. As a TA, I was teaching dancing and then teaching in schools. I had to move to Sydney, got a teacher's degree, went back home, got very frustrated by the system. Decided I needed to change the system, went back to uni, mm-hmm. learned how the system works, did another degree, and went to New York to the United Nations. And I was like, I'm going to change the world by yes. policy. I didn't. It depressed me thoroughly. Um, yeah, it just. It wasn't working. And I, it's something I want to get back into. I just don't think I had the wisdom and the maturity to stand in that system, you know? It's like one step forward, three steps back. Yeah,
1: it takes something beyond thick skin to to really care about something because, like, you, to change it, you have to acquaint yourself. You have to rub your nose so deep in all of the things that are wrong with it. And for it, your mental health, that is a catastrophe.
0: And it's...
1: I think it takes a specific
0: story. kind of person too because then like human lives are just like pawns, they're just like boop, boop, boop oh. for example when I was there I was working with the South African delegation right? and we were looking at um, like the way in which we could devise policy that would protect women and water like together, like mm-hmm. crossover policy because protecting women's right to water but also water's rights to being protected so looking at how that overlap would work and it took six months of work, and they just said no. And no rational reason. They actually came up to me and the other two girls who were working on it, and they were like, Your project is amazing. This would have worked really well. And we're like, but Why? What? Why no? And they're like, Oh, well, we have a big project coming in two years, so we want to save the votes and kind of harness the power so we can really push that one. And I'm like, So you have decided that because in two years' time there's a project that you think is better you've single-handedly made the quality of life for thousands of people significantly worse. Like, ah, yes, but... And the rules of the game. And I was like, but it's not a game, though. It's not a game. It's people's lives. It's genuine people. It's souls. It's bodies. It's children who won't have clean drinking water. It's women who won't be able to give birth where they're supposed to be able to give birth. It's people who will die. When there was something you could do about it, and to me it just crushed my soul so completely. Oh, I'm not
1: surprised. I think I'd be the same. You're right. Like it's two different t- types of people. Like you can either do that or you can't. You you can either like switch off your own moral code to just work to someone else's and not think about it and and be able to think about human beings as numbers. But I I know that I'm not capable of doing I'm that. Not. Like I always think about like even police officers, let alone someone like a psychologist or even a lawyer, like someone who has mm-hmm. to just expose themselves to someone else's emotional trauma so deeply and not take it home with them. I'm like, how
0: can not you not take dreamers. that home with you? Yeah. But I think that's the big thing, right, is that we're under this, and this is the biggest qualm that I have with society, well, not the biggest, Hitting one it, of, one of, is that Like, why aren't we taking things home? Why are we so disconnected from our work that we think that we can be in an office from nine to five and oops, nothing is affected. Like, we should be affected by our work. Mm. We go to work over a third of our lives What we're just sectioning that off to be like, that is just to make money and I will make an impact just between that window of time and outside of that it doesn't affect me. Nah, man. Yeah. Why are we working and then living separately? Like that doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I think we've uh, we. I think there should be multiple words for the word work. I think I that's are, an inappropriate thing to call. Very true. Like, you know, pumping gas at a gas station for a wage, but you you know you're dreaming about things that you'd actually like to do to help the world, mm. and then going home to just do that project that you've done or that you that you've been thinking about all day while you've mm-hmm. been at your job where you're getting a wage, and that's also work, but wait there's two very different intentions going on there and two very different results Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah there's like a
0: and the fact that we have to work for a wage and this is I mean that being said I also work for a wage but like I don't know it just seems a bit crazy that we spend so much time to only provide for ourselves.
1: Well, that's the thing, is that it's in that provision that I think the definition is flawed, in that provision only means money, according to the 21st century, whereas you can be providing for yourself by giving yourself, like, a lot of good feels, by doing something that matters and something that you care about, like, that's sort of priceless in my opinion, you can get paid as much as you want, but if you're doing something that's crushing your soul,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I don't really, I can't really price my life like that.
0: But even like, but then the line becomes more blurred, right, when you're talking about for example, growing food,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? You can grow food to sell it, and that's money, or you can grow food to feed yourself.
1: Exactly, you're
0: still providing for yourself, yep. but you're also doing something else. So, if that's true for that, like how is that not true for other things, right? Because even if you are pumping gas at a gas station, you're still having interactions throughout the day. Yeah, there's still stuff that you're doing. Yeah, and you're still putting out an effect. Nothing that you do has no effect. Right? Yeah, yeah. So every time you're participating to something. So it is work as well because every interaction you have is affecting another.
1: So it's, yeah, so it's mindful work or mindless work.
0: Right. Yeah. Very true. Very true.
1: Nice. I feel like we uncovered something there. I needed, good. that, that was too. like that hanging was in the good. air for basically a, a while for me now. Nice. But that's, mindful,
0: mindless. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's, for that. that's 100% yeah. it.
1: It's like whether you've got your yeah, back cool. into it or your back and your mind into it. Truth. If you're very,
0: very true. Yeah, the good job, us. Good that job, us. Good. Yeah, that was good.
1: Sweet. So you left the UN because it was soul destroying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Wow, that's a very succinct of... way to put it. But yeah, sorry, that's just sad. no, that's I don't it's, mean that it's true. It no, like no, that. I would also describe it like that. Um, Which is I kind just... of
1: sad because you think about the United Nations and that's supposed to be, mm. a, you know, an uplifting and romantic. Superhero solution and to all very very quickly
0: that proved not to be the case. Yeah. and New York was supposed to be this mind-boggling city full of diversity and solutions, and it was just miserable people in racial tensions, left, right, and center. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. But then again, I was, you know, I was only 21, and but you know, I have a tendency to climb to the top of the ladder really quickly. like, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it at 200%. And then I'm like, rah, do it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, I don't enjoy this. And I'm like, rah, to another situation. Yeah. Um, Which is why I went into a Master's of Sustainability because I decided I want to work grassroots. Yeah. And kind of the topic that everything that I've worked on, whether it's been education, whether it's been in dance, whether it's been in music or in law or in any area that I've worked at has always been the relationship between the health of our land and the health of our bodies, mm-hmm. um, particularly for Indigenous women, mm. because Indigenous women, um, And that's kind of when I decided that, like, all right, for me right now, I probably need to feed my soul a little bit. And in order to do that, I need to feed the planet a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I went into a Master of Sustainability, focusing in on food waste and on farming. And that is why I'm here. I'm doing, well, last time I was here, I was doing a permaculture course. Mm -hmm. And now I'm growing food and doing dance stuff and all sorts of things. I teach burlesque once a week um, as like a re-embodiment tool. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Where are you growing food? Um,
0: Just at (laughs) Mullum Community Garden. But I might be starting up with um, 96 Bangalore in a bit helping them out
1: cool that's yeah. a local industry. yeah it's in
0: Bangalore. Yeah. it's um a regenerative farm oh cool yeah they're really cool that is some cool stuff it's mm. only the very beginning of them um yeah but it's really good um, but still finding my feet i've only yeah. been here not so long so we'll see
1: we're well, finding your feet in a beautiful place and there's a lot yeah. of I feel like the culture as much as we've just bitched and moaned about what's happening in the main streets of Byron, <laughs> like in the surrounds, there's a lot of culture here that, you know, it's
0: support. amazing. And people like are really, doing. really willing to connect and have these conversations. And I think people are also, for as much as I bag them out about it, are willing to come to terms with their shortcomings very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are willing to learn, which I think is a big one. Yeah. A really, really big one. Um, you know, just having conversations. I know that sometimes, even in Sydney, living in Marrickville and all that, which is supposed to be like really trendy, you're like, Yes, I work on body empowerment for Indigenous women so that they can find their voices of authority. A lot of people are like, Oh no, angry black woman talking to me. And they'll yeah, just like right. shy back.
1: There's but, so much fear in, I think, getting uh, in the way of a lot of understanding.
0: Oh, And watch. with a lot of like
1: really charged issues, like Indigenous culture, like. The invo- like climate mm-hmm. change and environmental concerns mm-hmm. there's so much fear in like it's like everyone feels bad for not knowing the stuff they don't know and maybe oh that's God, because up. well maybe it's because like we live in a, a day now that we have computers mm-hmm. tiny computers in our pockets with access to the world's entire information so you feel like somehow Surely. no one's agreed on this but f- Somehow, it's like we're all suffering this obligation to know it all already. And so, Mm. when you've been wrong about it, or if someone's like educating you on something, you push back straight away because it's almost like an insult that you didn't know it already, or you're fearful of like. That's true. This is my interpretation. This is a complete complete Rolls conjecture (laughs) here, but basically, like.
0: I uh, think that's really very accurate.
1: Well, I noticed it in myself a lot. Very
0: accurate.
1: when, When phones started just, you know, permeating every second of every day and realizing like, oh, this is amazing that like, this is almost making my entire education mm. not redundant because I still know stuff, but like future kids are going to know so much so more much stuff more. because literally yeah. I can know anything if I put the right words in the right sequence but on that's my the phone. thing, putting
0: the right words. And that's why conversations are important. It's giving people the right words so that they can yeah. go looking for stuff. Yeah. But like you can't know... What you don't know. You can't know what you don't know, and so you shouldn't feel bad about not knowing it. This is true. This is probably something I need to remember a lot when I'm talking to people. And this is where, like, emotion and having your soul fed is so important so that you don't go in angry. Yeah. And I think I have a tendency, when I'm having a conversation, particularly with someone who's, you know, like, on the other side of the fence, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) no offense to you, but, like, Privileged white dude. No,
1: none Um, taken. I've admitted this. (laughs) (laughs) Not not pretending I'm not.
0: (laughs) Um, It's like the try to climb over the fence. All right, (laughs) you're doing well. You're doing well. You you can come now, sir. Okay, Um, I've opened the gate for you. See, Um, it can be very confrontational because it's like, oh well, I wasn't told about it, and I'm always like, you weren't told about it, but you're in a position where you could have found out and you chose not to. Yeah, and then it comes to that mm-hmm, weird fence, but that's I suppose where in moving forward we need to be less screamy about it and more like let's actually sit down and have a conversation about this. Yeah, um, which is very difficult to have.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but it I think it, can work. You can like you, you can you can say anything with a smile on your face and completely like yeah. influence the way it's going to be received by whoever you're saying yeah. it to, and yeah, it. You're so right, though. It's the difference between hearing something and then not changing, and like, yeah. or continuing to to be ignorant of something mm-hmm. that you've been educated about, where the problem yeah. starts happening. Okay, yeah. so maybe that is where a lot of the fear is coming from, because a lot of this stuff, like everyone knows, every, everyone knows mm-hmm. that there has been a hell of a lot of marginalisation that continues to this day and sort Mm -hmm. of seemingly with no end of Indigenous culture in this country, everyone knows. Sorry, that was just such a saccharine way of putting it, but basically everyone knows that this has been the most insane genocide Mm -hmm. the world's ever seen on the Mm -hmm. oldest culture the world's ever known. That's a better way of putting it. Everyone knows that. But it's like feeling sort of powerless to do much about it means that like when it's put in your face again, maybe your hackles go up and you're Mm -hmm. just like fearful of being called out for continuing to be ignorant about it
0: I think there's a component of fear and then there's a component of it's not really my problem like it's not about me which is huge a big thing that I face all the time because I'm like all right I work with Indigenous women I work on sensuality I work on the environment and I work on the Indigenous voice a lot of people like well I'm neither a woman nor am I Indigenous nor do I have any of those kinds of issues, so it's not about me. And I'm like, but it doesn't mean you can't learn something.
1: That, but also, you are living you. in the environment. Like, this is everyone's environment. You're, mm-hmm. We're all breathing the same air mm-hmm. here.
0: And Indigenous issues are societal issues, and you're a part of the society. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a
0: component there where it does actually matter that you're educated on this. But I think there's a level of fear, absolutely. And then probably, oh, it's a bit too hard, and because I'm not directly affected, well, it's not really about me. And it becomes a me and them, like it's their issue. It's yeah. not our issue. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. that fence side, oh, that looks pretty comfortable to sit on. I'll just sit on that for a exactly. while, actually. <laughs> exactly. yeah.
0: And it's a big one where it's like, you know, I was chatting to someone the other day about who is, he's a massive hippie and, you know, he's all about like love and compassion, blah, blah, blah. And he's Australian. And we were talking about the latest Royal Commission report in the Kimberley about suicides and how in the last three weeks we've had more than 48 suicides.
1: three weeks. Three weeks.
0: In three weeks, 48 suicides, two of them 12-year-old children. And in the Royal Commission report, it showed that for children under the age of 14, over 90% of them are Indigenous. Now, considering we're less than 4% of the population, that's like a shocking statistic. Yeah. That 90% of children under the age of 14 taking their own lives are Indigenous. I know. And his answer to me was, oh, man, that's... poor Indigenous people like what is it that they're missing and I'm like but why is it them don't you think that there's probably a role for you to play in this where well there's 90% you're still a part of that statistic though like it's Mm. it's still about you Mm. like everything that you do has an effect on them, particularly as an Australian person, like think about that.
1: Yeah, you're operating in the same system and no exactly. matter what side of that statistic you're on, you're in it. You're in the
0: statistic. You're exactly. in the statistic. It means yeah. that like out of that ninety percent, yeah, ninety percent were indigenous, ten percent weren't indigenous, but it's hundred percent at some point. So it means that for every like it's not a zero sum game, but yeah, like Yeah, yeah. No, you know I get, what I, mean? I get what you're
1: saying. Yeah. Like So so I mean did you have an answer to that? Like
0: No. He was like, Oh yeah. But what can I do? It's it, you know, like it, it's not a world that I understand. Look, that's probably the problem.
1: So okay, so part of it that'd be like, that'd be a given, I'm sure. As your response is like the first step that you can take as someone ignorant to to an issue like that is education. It's just like learning about it from mm-hmm. start to finish and actually applying yourself to this being a pr- very real problem that exists
0: yeah.
1: in your culture, in your society right now. Yeah, and yeah, you, you can. Keep sitting on the fence if you want, but the problem's not going anywhere. And so I'd say that education's, I'm sure you'd agree, would be like the first thing. Mm -hmm. But what's actually like a practical piece of advice that you would give someone like him or me who who shares that, who's like concerned or like far out, all the hairs on my neck stood up when you told me that. Like that's a shocking thing to hear. Mm -hmm. And you immediately move to action and you feel like, oh God, okay, okay, what what can I do to contribute to to this solution? Where do you go?
0: On a day like today in New South Wales, I'd say pay attention to your vote. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, Australians voted in a government that put through the intervention. And there is a very, very direct link between what happened during that time of the intervention of soldiers going in and forcefully submitting little girls to, you know, like very overt tests of having doctors, male doctors white male doctors looking at them Mm. without any Indigenous parents present, really shook through the society, accused elders of a lot of sexual assault and stuff, which can and can't be true. But the fact that that happened completely broke that social structure. So we can't look at things in isolation, right? Like the suicides that we have today aren't results of what happened today. Mm. They're results of what's... Mm happened yesterday and the day before. So number one, pay attention to your vote. Really, really big one. Then just look around directly how you can help. Like, look at an initiative and not just go, oh, that's a good initiative. Okay, that's a good initiative. I'm going to send them a message hey, I saw your initiative, it's really good. Is there anything I can do to help?
1: I've got a pair of hands, they do stuff. Do you they need do stuff, stuff that needs doing?
0: Do you need stuff that needs doing? Do you need people to host a community potluck dinner? Do you need, can I come along to one of your potluck dinners? Mm. Like, and people are less reluctant to do that, say with like, um, like with Nanny Six Bangalore. People look on the page and they go, oh man, that's a really cool project. Great, then get involved. Yeah. Message them. Yeah. Hey, can I come plant some stuff? Do you need help running workshops? Can I come along to workshops? Do you need financial help? Mm. Can I promote you somewhat? Yeah. Like small things like that, not just looking and clicking. And I think that's the big thing, right, is that we get so caught in like the 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 click culture. culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like, I comment, oh my God, I'm so moved. I'm so blah, blah, blah. Cool, but do something.
1: That's that's it, because that's where, I mean, it's not glory in my world, but I think in those people's worlds, it is glory to have their movements on social media, Visible to everyone else, Mm -hmm. so that everyone else can see how lovely they are in the things that they support. But there's no when when it's just literally a click or a scroll or something. There's no actual support there. There's nothing actually
0: happening because the actual
1: support doesn't come with glory because it's not a glorious thing. It's like it's It's exactly what we talked about. It's exactly it's backbone work and it's rubbing your if you care about it, it's rubbing your nose in the shit of it. It's like really like acquainting yourself with what's
0: wrong. Exactly, and I think that. You know, it's funny because I always get this question, right, whenever I talk about Indigenous issues. I'm like, what can I do about it? And people always want, you know, this this clear-cut, three-point answer. It's like, that's a really big fucking problem. Yeah. It's a really, really big problem. And we don't have a three-point answer to it. Right, But people despise hearing that. Mm -hmm. Because somehow, not only are Indigenous people then the victims, but they have to come up with the solutions to their own oppression. What, you mean I couldn't just solve this with a 10-minute conversation? Exactly. And it's like, but people hate hearing that. Like, in the Bernie Sanders campaign, right? This is when I was living in the States. His scores plummeted overnight after an interview where the lady asks him, the interviewer, she asks him, what will you do to bring down the banks? And Bernie Sanders, being Bernie Sanders, went ahead and said, well, I'm going to create a board of experts. And we're gonna give them funding and we're gonna give them space and we're gonna put through requests to have all the papers from the banks and we're gonna look at it. And she goes, No, what are you actually gonna do about it? Tell people here listening right now, How are you gonna bring down the banks? And he said, I don't know how to bring down the banks, but we gotta start looking at it. Mm. I don't know because I'm not an expert at this. And because it's single handedly, his voice just went, Yeah exploded because people are like, what? You don't know everything? There's not a simple answer to complex problems.
1: To this gigantic problem that you just got asked about. Like,
0: Indigenous people have been around for a very long time. And we've had some very serious problems since Invasion Day, which is a long time ago also. We can't have, like, boom, solutions. Yeah. There's solutions that are amazing at the moment. For example, um, Kimberley Aboriginal Law and Culture Council, KLAC. The Kimberley is doing these incredible cultural camps. They're, they're just taking everyone out into the bush, they're re engaging in ceremony, they're you know, trying to create an environment where culture is still very much alive. And now that is really important, and a lot of people don't understand why that's important. Taking two seconds to talk about it, when you are a part of a world and you don't feel like you belong anywhere, that will crush your soul. Mm-hmm. Young Aboriginal people today, clearly don't belong to Occidental Australian culture. They don't. They don't because I didn't for a very long time until I learnt it after the age of 18. Mm. After I came to university in Sydney, I had never even engaged in Aussie-Oka, like this full Aussie culture. Like I didn't even really, I've never celebrated Australia Day. Like these weren't things I knew Mm. because my culture isn't this. Today, I feel Australian. I'm also Aboriginal. They're two very, very different things. When those Aboriginal kids don't have Aboriginal culture and they can't be a part of white Australian culture, which not only isn't theirs but doesn't accept them yeah, when yeah. they do try and to engage, has no
1: doors open for them, like,
0: and quite overtly rejects them, yeah. then you're left in a state of desperation. And I think that's the state of desperation that we can do a lot about. Yeah. And that's where the importance of keeping culture alive comes at play because. I've personally accepted that my Indigenous identity will never be the same as my Australian identity because they're two worlds that are really, really far apart. And we don't need to be this like one global village country where we're all the same. But what we need to do, though, is acknowledge the value in Indigenous culture for what it is Mm. and not claim it as our own. Because if a dot painting just becomes something pretty, then it's taking away the value of it. And taking away the value of it means that you're pulling apart a culture that's already on its very, very last legs. And that's where cultural appropriation becomes problematic. Yeah. And I've said, like, very big topics here, but...
1: No, no, I, I get where you're coming it's from. like... So what about... Um, at, at any point in that, is there integration of those two very disparate cultures that you're talking about? Is there value in combining them in some capacity, or at least...
0: No.
1: No? Sorry, maybe not combining. That's not the correct word. But... But communicating their differences, like through...
0: Well, that's, that's the big thing, right, is that that's the key difference, right, is that can we actually come together and value each other equally, right? Can an Indigenous person and an Australian person come together in a room and actually engage with each other in a way that's respectful and equal?
1: Mm.
0: At the moment, it's not possible because at the moment... Every time that a Garia person goes to engage with Aboriginal people, they come with the value that they know better and that they can help. Yeah. And you can't help when you are the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's really hard because you know that people have the best intentions and I know that people have the best intentions and I see this all the time. Teachers come into Bidgeting, teachers come into Bigel Bay and they go, "Oh, blah, 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 all these beautiful indigenous children, I'm going to put them on my social media and it's going to be great. So you have the best intention and I see that, that you're coming in thinking that you're doing something because we can't do it. That's not true. We're inviting you in here because we want to learn from you. That doesn't mean that we don't have a lot to offer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when right. you come
0: in and you only help and you don't learn, then that power dynamic shifts. There's right? this automated Is this same superiority. Thing? Like, exactly. Is yeah. there something as like, you know, like, um, volu- voluntourism, you know, like volunteering overseas? Yeah. It's like, nah, man, if you're going to go volunteer at a Cambodian orphanage, like it's not because you're wearing harem pants that you're doing anything to help. Like you are creating and widening that power dynamic. So if you're going to engage with indigenous issues, if you're going to engage with indigenous people. Do it in a way where you want to learn from them and you don't think that they're these like desperate, incapable people yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. going to save. See, this And is, that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Ex-
1: ex- I was just about to say, this is like a really beautiful example of what we were saying where it is, it is a problem when uh, well-intentioned people stick their beaks in in a way that actually mal- further maligns the situation or makes the problem a mm-hmm. lot worse than it was yeah. despite their good intentions. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Because it's like that's... Like, with Indigenous suicide, and I think with Indigenous women's suicide in particular, that sense of not belonging, that sense of having no ownership over anything of value. Yeah. And that's best reflected in women not even thinking that their own bodies have value. Whether that's through, you know, like, giving themselves up in, you know, like, sexual abuse situations and just leaving it or having, you know... Walking around completely covered and not wanting to dance, not wanting to move, not wanting to take care of their bodies, eating horrible food because they don't see value in their own bodies. They mm. don't see value in their own minds. And so they don't see value in their own existence. So we somehow, that's how you help, right? You reinstate value where it's due. Yep. You make people feel valuable because when you sit down and you listen to someone and you go, what do you have to teach me? What can you show me? What can you teach me? That has huge effect on the psyche, right? We oh, go, I'm yeah. I'm actually valuable.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: actually useful. I there are things offer. that I know. Mm. That is something that we're missing in all Indigenous policy in Australia. It's going, you have a problem. Maybe you come up with a solution, but at the end of the day, we're the ones who are going to implement the solution.
1: Yeah, and even before we implement it, we'll decide whether it's whether the it's right good or thing it's or not. Straight up. And so that's actually not asking your... not taking it on as advice or Mm -hmm. as, you know. Exactly. I actually think about this in in a broader context with climate change a lot Mm -hmm. in that currently Australia is basically the most offensive developed country in the entire world and we're sort of getting away with it by the skin of our teeth by virtue of how large this place is and how few of us there are. Mm -hmm. But currently we are, like, we're looking very, very bad and everything will be revealed in the history books of the future, terrifies me another conversation. But for me, like a lot of, um, it seems like a lot of the the ways out of these problems, we've got a, we've got a culture here that's existed for 70,000 years in perfect harmony with the environment. And so not only is it sitting down and asking, what can you, what can you teach me? What can you, you know, what can you teach? It's like teach us everything, please. But Mm -hmm. then it comes with this super loaded thing where that culture, this Indigenous culture who does know exactly how to improve our environmental rap sheet, which is in such dire need of it, we haven't given them any motivation. Like currently that divide between the two cultures isn't exactly inspiring that, like I would say isn't inspiring
0: them to share. the, The problem is with that, right, is that saying teach us would be admitting that Aboriginal people know better. And it actually has huge implications in terms of land rights, because if you were to ask Indigenous people, how do you take care of the land? Answer number one would be stop mining, stop fracking the soil, stop poisoning the waterways and probably give us back our land. And that's the big no, no. That's what the big problem at the moment is. I was really heavily involved with the anti-LNG gas in the Kimberley and then recently the no fracking. And it's the big thing, right? Inside the boardrooms at the end of the day, they're like, I mean, they've got a point. They've got a point. But we can't give them back our land because if we give them back their land, then we're going to have to give this other person back their land. And then we're going to have to say that we're wrong. And then all our money's going to be gone. And it's like, that's the problem. Mm. That's the problem, isn't it? But it's the case everywhere, right? It's the case everywhere. And like, it's not just in Australia. I spent some time in Colombia last year. Actually, this time last year, I was in Colombia, and they have this amazing thing. It's called resistance farming. It's incredible okay. to me. It like single-handedly healed my soul after New York. Is that so? The initial part of the story is quite depressing. Just is that after the cartels fell, mm-hmm. a huge amount of land was taken by the government. Right, like all that cartel land was pretty much theirs. Yeah. So what they decided is that they were going to sell it for the best money. Um, In the northern part of Colombia, in the area called Magdalena, which is like next to Buritaco and all those towns, they sold it to this Czech dude who runs, who just like grows a bunch of stuff on a really industrial level. Mm -hmm. He decided to have um, bananas. He was gonna grow bananas. Which is great to grow bananas in Colombia, but you can't monoculture because Colombia is really, really steep and it's really heavy rains very loose topsoil, you rip out all the understory of the jungle, everything is going to go straight into river runoff, which is exactly what happened, right, and Colombia is covered in pests, the north of Colombia is the Caribbean Ocean, it's like tropical, it's hot, fungus spreads like wildfire, Mm -hmm. disease spreads like wildfire, and insects are not kept at bay (laughs) easily, so it involved really heavy lead pesticides. First rain, second rain, third rain, all the waterways were poisons. There's, pe- there's people there, Indigenous people, who are called the Kogis. The Kogis at that time, early, like late 90s, early 2000s, were still very much living in the jungle, off the jungle. Their kids started getting sick. They went to the shamans. The shamans picked herbs and made their natural medicine, laid it on the bodies of the children. The children got, who were already sick with blood poisoning were poisoned further by the traditional medicine which had been poisoned had been, by the pesticides. Yeah. So, none of this had been told to the Kogis. The Kogis had no idea what was happening. Yeah. They just saw their children sick, tried to make their traditional medicine. Their traditional medicine had been poisoned. It's nine th- children died.
1: The apocalypse
0: <laughs> for an indigenous <laughs> culture, like, it, it, yeah. who have been there for
1: countless years. Exactly. time. And
0: nine children died. Now, they tried to go to tribunal. And the Colombian government said it's not the fault of this um, big corporation, it's the fault of your elders because they administered them medicine that killed them. Which, according to Colombian law, means that you poison them because it's medical mistreatment. 14 elders went to prison. Oh my God. For life. Really? Sentenced for life which means that that whole society was left without their shamans, was left without the cultural guides, and was left without their biggest source of information, biggest source of cultural information. The whole society was crumbling. crumbling. Children were dying. Old people were missing. And everyone else was just lost and confused. And day by day, their villages was being pushed further and further back by these banana monocultures. These incredible people decided to identify their plants and decided to look at the problem. They looked at the problem so that the problem was the runoff and started resistance farming, which involved looking for indigenous plants that would catch the runoff, planting it all around the banana plantations and stopping the runoff. They single-handedly by doing this cleaned out the riverways in less than 10 years. There's no trace of lead in the river today because they go every day to plant, remove upkeep these huge beds that are beautiful, like, thick wow. foliage, thick moss, or that, that they plant around, and it catches it. And it's poison. It's heavily poisonous. Yeah. This isn't stuff that's legal in Australia. It's just because this is, like, northern Colombia. And they go around, and they plant, and they take, and they burn it, which arguably is not the best thing to do for the environment. But, but you know, like... What do you do you with toxify Exactly. Mm. Yeah, you yeah, do yeah. the best you can. And that... I don't know. To me, I was like, that's clever. Mm-hmm. That's working around the system. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that I want to try and do. Because that's possible. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You
0: know, there's like those solutions there.
1: Yeah, like a like a harmony between these two cultures who... Exactly. But this is the thing is that I'm... i Well, that's an amazing story. Thank you, first mm. of all. No worries. Um, Heartbreaking story, but... Yeah, but I mean, happy...
0: Happy ending. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of... I'm in awe at the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Humility of someone like yourself to, sorry, I don't mean this no, to no, gush, no, but no, I mean no. like the humility to acknowledge that, that which it, for me is like an egregiously middle ground. That's not, like a, that's not a good resolution to this enormous problem. Well, it's not a fair resolution,
0: no, it's but unfair. it's better than no resolution. Mm-hmm. And so
1: like that level of humility to acknowledge that that's, that that's, like, a path of reparation that we could... Well, that we sound like we should be pursuing. It's just amazing to someone like me, like...
0: It's just... It's... I don't... It's kind of sad to think about that... Yeah, I think everything that I've done has kind of shown me that this system that we have is really, really strong. And that the ways that we're trying particularly for environmental issues. For social issues, there's room to wriggle around. But for environmental issues, there's nothing we can do about a lot of it. And that's, like, so heartbreaking. Mm. Like, to the point where, you know, like, it keeps me up at night and I, like, cry about it. I'm like, there is nothing I can do. You know, like, I went to the Hunter Valley and I just stood in front of this mine, completely torn up, open ground. And I'm like, can't you see how fertile this land is? Mm. Like, can't you see what we can do? And you're doing this. Mm. Why? And there's nothing I can do
1: about it. So I'd say, I'm guessing a politician would say, well, Nadala... You're benefiting from public amenity, public infrastructure, which is being funded by the sale of what we're mining there. So you can just take those criticisms and go home. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm like, but I didn't ask for this.
1: That's it. Is that no one fucking no, asked for this? for this? And there's other I don't ways to get this. that money. Thank you very much. Exactly. Like,
0: ask for what? like. Tell you, want you to- You're selling this gold so you can roll out your shitty NBN. Like I don't <laughs> want this. Yeah like we were fine before like yeah. stop trying to have more and that's the problem right is that this is addiction to more and mm. we want more and we want everything to be ours and it's like why? I'm perfectly okay with just this mm. like it doesn't have to be you know these big fancy jet planes and these big fancy things and we don't have to be the best and we don't have to have the best we can just do with what we have but that's the social monoculture of the
1: world. Have. I agree with you 100%. Like, but but like, as far as a homogenized global culture, we're being, mm-hmm. we're being led down this path of gluttony where if, you, if you're not striving for more or you don't have aspirations to attain more wealth or get another jet plane or do whatever you want, then you're failing somehow. Or you're, Exactly. You're,
0: you're. But it's such a big system, right? It's, it's a monster. It's a beast of a thing that when you have small things, like what the Kogis are doing, right? then that is not a small thing. Mm. That is tremendous because you have managed not to vanquish the system, but you have stood between this monster and something that needed protection and you are winning. Yep. And what they're doing is that 300 people, less than 300 people, are protecting Riverways.
1: Yeah, backing the system.
0: And that's like, they are winning mm. in the battle against that system. Maybe they're not winning completely, but if you think of the battle as keeping that water clear, keeping those fish alive, keeping themselves alive, then they won. Mm. They won against mm-hmm. that existence, and that is worth celebrating Definitely. to no end.
1: Definitely. Like,
0: all I, the acknowledgement.
1: I agree that it's crippling to think sometimes about too many large-scale things that are affecting our climate, yeah. and that the longer you spend, then the less sanity you retain <laughs> <laughs> True. but uh, but for me like it this time in life and in our in our human civilization represents massive opportunity and, mm-hmm. and like i i'm not sure that those things can't be changed i'll tell you one cool thing that i heard recently for example mm-hmm. so graziers who oh, well, i mean obviously there's any number of issues with farming cattle and our obsession with it in this mm-hmm. country um and how there's graziers who uh they don't have water, they don't have money to keep their livestock, but they turn their cattle farm into a solar farm and they're earning more mm-hmm. money than doing ever before. Yeah. And it's like, there's stuff like that, which are just these really simple inversions that yeah. as soon as, as soon as enough of them happen and that tide mm-hmm. really turns, then I think the big stuff will start to, exactly. it's all the small will start stuff. to change. Yeah, and but it starts thing, with small
0: stuff. It's all the small stuff because what we're doing is that at the moment, th- this monster, right, is only made up of a bunch of small stuff, yeah. right? Is that like this huge, tremendous thing is made up of just a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of industries. And if little by little they flip to the other side and everybody's jumping over the fence and we let more and more people in the gate, then at first it's like one person is jumping over and then oh, maybe we push the fence over a bit and then hordes of people are coming the other side. Then you'll find that that like first field is going to be empty and that is like my sanity keeper I'm like things are changing and things are getting better and if you think about it right like 10 years ago if you were like straws are going to be banned plastic bags are no longer going to be in supermarkets people are going to be like what are you talking about we need straws we need plastic bags and you're like how am I going to drink my diet coke exactly straight up and you're like but it's possible and you look at a town like Byron as much as I bag it out nowhere has plastic straws Yeah biodegradable containers, left, right, and center, Yeah. refillable water stations. I mean, I work at a cafe where we don't sell anything bottled and no one has a qualm with it.
1: That's sick. We sell
0: no water bottles. What's
1: the name of that cafe? Folk. Folk, all Yeah. right. You I'll go through there on my way back should. through. You yeah, should. that sounds awesome. It's a good place. Because I, I um, that's my job at home is I've got a cafe oh, cool. in um, Chatswood and oh, it's nice. just like a constant head fuck basically for me because like we offer very healthy keep cup discounts and I mean everyone's is every day but it's like a real integrity crisis mm-hmm. to need takeaway packaging still and to know that if I was just to pull it, pull it out take everything bottled out of my fridges and take all the takeaway packaging out of my cupboards I'd be broke tomorrow business would go under and that'd be that and so yeah. it's it's a weird
0: it's a small change t- but it shows the difference right like what's the difference between here and Chatswood like we're the same people, but there's enough people here with the right idea that the culture's changed. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's not impossible. It's Maybe not. if we have this conversation again in 10 years, then you're like, yeah, like I we have no plastic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it'll be great. Maybe
1: they'll be illegal by then. Exactly. And that's unfathomable to me now, being in the yeah. coffee industry for 10 years already, and just like, but I've seen the changes already, and a lot more people re- using reusables now than there ever have been. Exactly.
0: And I mean, even for us, right? Like, whenever I do any of the ordering and stuff they always you know like they give us huge bulk packets of stuff and everything's plastic free and there's a plastic free option for everything that's awesome for literally everything
1: Mm. it's definitely not with our suppliers in sydney
0: yeah but a place like for example most cafes we get it from alpaca and everything not only do they provide well i mean they don't even they PLA is the closest to plastic areas, but I mean, that's not really biodegradable. but whatever. Um, But they actually offer a service where they're like, this is actually the better option of the two. Mm. They let us test it for free. They, you know, we're switching to cane sugar lids that aren't PLA. There's so many options and so many smart people coming up with smart things.
1: Smart things, and it's a communication which has been standing in the way of a lot of this. So as much as I resent the computers in our pockets... The fact that like, you and I can record this conversation and communicate mm-hmm. to who knows how many people and have access to all of that information at the tip of our fingers. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's a, I think the commun- there's been a miscommunication or a real communication breakdown which has led to the formation of
0: all of these giant problems. Mm. But... I don't even know. I think that it's intentional. I don't think it's a communication breakdown. I think that they intentionally make us feel like...
1: Who's they? You got specific people you system. might... The <laughs>
0: system... Nah, it's like, one of them got a weird
1: red hair, doing a red tie.
0: And yeah. All of the things, you know, mm. all of those. Like, it's not in the advantage of the greedy and it's not in the advantage of the top that we come up with different solutions where we're not going and funding their big corporations anymore. Yeah. And I think that, though I know how conspiratory of me this sounds, but, you know, like, there's a, there's a big role in that. I'm actually talking to our neighbours instead of, logging onto Facebook where we're making someone money by scrolling and seeing an ad. Yeah. And rather than that, just going, oh, put that down. Hi, my name's Nadala. How are you today? There's, what can you like, teach me? What can you teach me? Yeah. There's a big gap in that. And I think that there's some intent there. You know, I'm not convinced that it's all unintentional. I think that we've gotten really used to it. But oh, But you go got to definitely. other places. And, like, one of my friends who's Colombian, he always says to me, like, Man, Australians are so lonely. And I'm like, God, do you mean we're lonely? And he's like, You're lonely. You just buy all this stuff and you always talking to each other on the computers. But you're so lonely. You never connect with each other. And I'm like, It's true. And he always Damn, gets in trouble to here. The heart.
1: <laughs> oh, really?
0: Always, because he's like, All these girls think I'm perving on them all the time. Yeah, how much all of a are you? All these dudes think that I'm like hitting on them. He's like, I just genuinely thought that dude had a nice shirt and I wanted to tell him. And I genuinely thought that chick had a nice smile and I wanted to tell her. And I was genuinely curious about what book they were reading. And he's like, but there's an intent here that's, Different and it's so true. Yeah, that's bang on. You can't speak to people on the train in Sydney. Yeah, like they that, will you, look at you like you y- are insane. You are a psycho
1: person. Like yeah. you will kill
0: their children. Yeah, it's yeah. It's yeah. insanity.
1: Yeah, you got something to say to me, put it in writing and text it, and to, text me, it all right? to me or
0: Text it. Like we don't even call each other. Yeah. Like, what's up with that?
1: Yeah, it all happened real quickly, didn't it? (laughs) Really? Like, I feel very lucky to have grown up as a kid and needed to dial up my friends' houses, landlines, talk to their mums for 30 seconds, answer a few questions, and then, oh, is Billy there? And then (laughs) you had to do it.
0: And, like, writing to each other. And there's writing and then there's the convenience of writing quickly and then there's, like, taking the time to sit down and write. Mm. But I suppose that's bad for the environment.
1: Yeah, but that's this trade-off, isn't it, that there's it there's is. nothing, there's it nothing, is. no guilt-free pass in being a human being, basically, there's no, there's no no impact.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about the other day, how, you know, like, my mum sent me these earrings that she got in South America, that were made by Indigenous people, and, you know, she was like, oh, it was to fund their environmental battle, and was like, this is great, and then I look at the letter she sent me, which was handwritten. And I was like, oh, holy close to my heart. I like, my mum wrote this. She's so far away and I never see her. They're like, oh, this is great. You know, she's an environmental warrior. I'm an environmental warrior. Empowered environmental women. And then I was like, but this letter had to take the plane to get here. Mm.
1: Yeah, you like, you oh, just,
0: man. But I'm like, no, if there's a this net is gain, how they get you. No, right? but there's a
1: net gain in that situation. Exactly. Like, and
0: this is how they get you, right? Like, everyone's just doing the best they can. And I need to remember that for
1: myself, but... Yeah, and you've got to... I think it's easy, especially when you're bent on... Or, or like, you're particularly aware of your impact, mm. socially, environmentally, whatever. It's really hard to forgive yourself sometimes for your transgressions or for the costs that you continue to impose on your community. But we've got to be a bit easier on ourselves in that, exactly. like, this is a. There's a lot of teething that's going to go on with completely yep. restructuring this this yep. enormous, monstrous system we're talking about.
0: Yep. And how important valuing our own voice and our experience is in being a better social advocate and that's like the basis for all of my work and i know how distant burlesque dancing and politics seem from each other but they're actually very interconnected not at all yeah i'm totally with you because once you empower yourself in your body you empower yourself in their voice you realize that you have authority and i'm not as afraid to speak up and i'm like you know what i am me yeah and i will speak and i think Particularly Indigenous people are like, oh, if we speak, we have to have it all put together and perfect. And it's like, why? No, man, we come flawed, but we come proud, and we have a voice of authority, and we are allowed to speak, and we can make a difference without being perfect. Yeah. And yeah, you're doing the best you can. Even if you drive your four-wheel drive up here, you're doing the best you can, and you're creating difference in the process. And that's all we can do. And we're constantly being slashed down by people saying, like, but you're not doing enough. Yeah. You're not doing enough. And well... You say no to mining, but you still benefit from it. It's like, well, I benefit from it because there's no other solution right now. It doesn't mean that we need to keep going the wrong way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm allowed
0: to signal that we're going the wrong way.
1: That's it. It's, it but, the, but people's expectation is unless you're providing a very succinct and perfect alternative immediately, then why are you even suggesting that the current is wrong? Exactly. If you don't have... And, f- you know, on a short-term basis, yeah, I get it. Sure, mate. Like... I can't have a flat white if there's no milk. I get it. Like, there's not. it's not that simple. But mm-hmm. when we're talking about the entire world and a poorly structured civilization, which is currently facing a lot mm-hmm. of challenges that we're all going to encounter together, whether we're mates or not, that's not That's not as cut and dry as whether you've got milk in the fridge or not. That's going to take some talking about it. It's yeah. not as simple as
0: yeah.
1: yes or no. And
0: it doesn't mean not being able to breathe in the process. You know, like, oh, man, it's... a like it's and I think this is something that I mean I say very passionately to other people about other people but I constantly forget with myself. Okay. Is that like you know, doing the best you can and saying that something is wrong doesn't mean that you have to be right all the time. And you can just say this is wrong and still benefit from the wrong thing and that's okay. Yeah. Coal being the biggest example. Yeah. I don't enjoy coal. I would really like us not to do it.
1: But I still flick the lights on in but the
0: house. I But there's a reason I do that. It's because we don't have an alternative right now. And as a single individual, I can't be like, I will no longer use coal. Because then I wouldn't be able to communicate with people, which would be counterproductive. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But since
0: it's not your coal and your electricity, but it's our coal and our electricity, then I am indeed entitled to keep using it while I say, let's do something different.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, I'm with you. It's all about net gains. It is. Accepting the small costs for a for a larger benefit. Exactly. Mm.
0: But just the right cost and the right benefit. Yeah. Because at the moment that's the excuse, right? Like, we must grow GDP, so we're putting out carbon because we must grow GDP, and you know? and it's a good question of agreeing what the gains are and what the costs are.
1: Which comes back to work, right? Deciding mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what you think profit means, whether that's only a number to you. Exactly. Doesn't have to be. Mm.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: I think that's a pause note to finish on. Oh my God, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. holy guacamole. What a time warp. Thanks for the chat.
0: No worries.
1: Didn't that just feel like you were just sitting down with your mate, having a chat, and then, oh God, that was a good conversation. I remember it so vividly, and I remember just walking away really fizzing and feeling excited that there is communicative potential to remedy these crazy cultural problems that are rife in Australia. I feel really lucky to have had that conversation with Nids, and thank you again. For having me nadala and teaching me and everyone else who's just listened about exactly where these misunderstandings lie and what we can all do to achieve a much more harmonious social situation here in australia because we're all here together in the luckiest country in the planet i mean it's about bloody time that we all started holding hands next fortnight we will be sitting down with harriet spark of grumpy turtle creative Harriet is an activist who began strawkeling in Manly, which is a pretty hardcore version of cleaning up. Despite such a cute name that sounds like it could be the title of the next Pixar animated movie, strawkeling is picking up namely straws, but plastic rubbish from the waterways in Manly Cove in Sydney, Australia. And there is a shocking amount of rubbish in Manly Cove, in the harbour side of the Manly Peninsula. It's a crazy sort of funnel, I guess, for rubbish, which is both horrifying, but also a good thing in that if there's wonderful people like Harriet Spark mobilizing other wonderful people to get down there and pick it all up, then it's kind of a good thing that there's a lot of it in the one place. And Harriet's been featured on War on Waste. She's an absolute soldier in the sustainability space and we had an awesome chat as well just around the corner at Shelley Beach so look out for that one in a fortnight's time and thank you again for listening if you enjoyed the episode today please tell your mates about it please share it like it comment and I'm assuming you've subscribed if you're this deep into the series so please encourage other people to as well because we really appreciate the fact that people are getting something out of these conversations and the feedback's been super good so far so thank you very much to everyone who has expressed how much they're getting out of these. And I hope you keep listening because it's really fun putting them together and we're really enjoying hosting them. So thank you very much for listening and you and I will talk again very, very soon. Peace and love guys. Goodbye.